0: what's going on everybody welcome to a brand new episode of virtual coffee house before we dive into the episode i just want to say virtual coffee house is completely non-monetized it's completely free it will stay this way forever it's a way of us giving back as part of our hpms ventures foundation we host this podcast for the sole purpose of helping musicians right helping music students, this is a podcast for high performance musicians, right? We bring on career tips, we bring on college audition advice, music school tips, anything you can think of, entrepreneurship, music business, anything to serve musicians as much as possible. Because of that, so the only way to support us is really leaving a five-star review And if this podcast really impacted your life, you learned something, please, if you can write us a written review, that would really help us uh, for the podcast, uh, help us with the algorithm. Um, So I just want to say, please do that if you can. That's the only thing we ask you to do It's not monetized. If you can also share this video, share this episode, share this stream, whichever way you're listening or watching this podcast right now, we really, really appreciate that. I also wanna say we work really, really hard on publishing these episodes. It takes hours to just edit the content alone. I work very, very hard on bringing these tremendous guests on the show. They are literally the best in the music industry. And I always have a passion for serving people and making an impact on people's lives, especially those who are struggling, those who are younger than me, And those who feel so lost in their um, application process for music schools and trying to figure out what is the best way to get in the schools they want to get into to find the music career that suits them the best okay so um typically you will literally spend 200 300 per hour just to have private lessons or conversations with these guests but i try my best to make it happen for you for free so I just hope I can impact as many people as possible. Another way of really helping us is to post on your own social media of what you learned from this episode using hashtag virtual coffee house, using hashtag high performance musicians. And if you are really, really struggling with your music applications right now, you are a high school music student, you want to go to music schools, but you feel lost, you can always send us a DM with your question, you can also check out my startup, HPMS Venture. School Google HPMS Venture. It will take you to our startup page. We have our coaching programs. You can also schedule one-on-one consulting sessions with us. We have helped a handful of music students get accepted into their top choices. Eastman, Juilliard, schools in Europe, you name them. So if you really need help, definitely check it out. Now, let's get into the content. Great.
1: Okay, so where should we start?
0: Hi, Mr. Kola. Thank you so much, first of all, for, for being here. It's such a pleasure to host you. And um, My so last time we spoke, it was actually 10 years ago. I don't know if you still remember that. But um, I will start by showing you a photo. Hopefully, that will recall some of our okay. beautiful memories here. Um, I'm pretty sure you don't remember this at all, but
1: there it is. I framed this. Oh yeah, that that's in um, up in Shenyang.
0: That that's right. Yeah, do you remember? That was you remember I this? think that
1: was my my last visit up to the Shenyang Conservatory when uh, Dong Dejun was still up there. Now he's down in um, yep uh, in the place near Shanghai. What's the name of that town again?
0: Uh, Hangzhou is in the south. Hon- yep.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's the new the new conservatory down there. But yeah, he exactly. was up in I knew Mr. Dong since 1997. Wow. It was the yeah. first time we met. So and I was yeah. up at the Shenyang Conservatory many times.
0: And, and I look at the this. By the way, this is heavy. I framed this. Um, 20, 2011. 2011.
1: Yep. So that's 10 years, ago. years ago. So I'd been to the Shenyang Conservatory beef many times even before that conservatory was built the one you're showing there is the new Shenyang buildings wow I was there Amazing. when we we had the master classes in the in a room that had no heat and everybody wore their winter jackets inside and they didn't have the concert hall in the new building and the, but when you were there it was already all new facilities that was it was beautiful then
0: yeah I imagine that probably was uh before I was born because that at that time 2011 I was 10 years old that was my Second year starting playing the clarinet actually, uh-huh. yep. and I wasn't speaking cool. too much English because I was li- very little, and um, that was so special to me because that was not only my first masterclass ever, but also my first ever masterclass with the international artist. Uh
1: huh, cool. So that
0: was just amazing for me. I, I-, I still remember you-, you taught me how to circular breathe, which uh-huh. we had a dinner. At this very, very fancy place, you were sitting in the middle. I walked to you, and you tell me how to circular breathe. I, I, I experiment it, then work conceptually, and then you told me to. I play the polka dance. Which, you know, uh-huh. a lot of Chinese My students play that
1: clarinet polka, yeah. The
0: clarinet polka, yeah. And then uh, I was doing trills for once, and you're you're saying you should do the trills for for twice. Yeah. And and uh, I still remember that because that was very very first time ever. So it's still still up there. Just it's amazing. And then <laughs> after that. I've been just searching for you for however I can (laughs) I can because I I just don't I didn't know your name I don't know you know we didn't have any contact exchange or anything but uh thanks to Facebook I guess you know technology is amazing to find you finally
1: (laughs) Uh uh-huh well yeah I I go to China quite frequently in fact um I've been to China maybe 20 times starting back in 1970 and 1997. So that's almost. But is that 25 years ago now? Right. It's almost 30 years. Um, and in fact, I had a a new big tour of China scheduled in March of last year, when Amazing. COVID hit. And my mm-hmm. first city that I was supposed to go to, that I was scheduled and confirmed, was Wuhan. Oh wow! <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> And then I got a text message, you know, a WeChat message from the professor in Wuhan saying, oh, we have a virus here. You better not come. We'll oh, yeah. schedule it later. So then I had a five-city tour schedule all over China, north of China, south of China, everywhere. And so he contacted me and he said that we have a virus here. You shouldn't come. So I said, okay, no problem. Um, uh, we'll do it next time, you know. And I contacted Mr. Dong, your teacher. Uh-huh. Uh, down, down in Hangzhou, and immediately scheduled to go there. And he confirmed, and I was all set to go there instead of Wuhan. And then about maybe five days later, it was very quick, you know, he'd confirmed it. he said, Great, everything's fine, perfect. Five days later, he texted me back. And he said, No, we're having to shut down, you know, we can't have people here in Hangzhou either now. I said, yeah. why that's, you know, that's far away from Wuhan, you know, right. And they, they said, No, no, yeah, but they're shutting it down. I said, Okay, well, I'll schedule, you know, I'll schedule Guangzhou or something way, way away from there. And again, they, that got shut down. And even the, up in the northwest of China, Langzhou, Yeah, that got shut. Every, and then everything was shut down about five right. days later. And so the whole trip got canceled. But otherwise, I would have been doing another big tour of China last year. So I, I've got to reschedule that hopefully, maybe for later this season uh maybe in the fall or in this next spring you know
0: yeah i, I hope that will work out because i mean this past year has been such difficulty for all of us i mean yeah musicians yeah. especially just without concerts and stuff it's it's really tough but i i mean but i think people are doing a lot of virtual stuff like like this and uh, other stuff it's that's you know that's innovative and i think it's really good for the classical music industry especially
1: yeah Yeah, no, it's been fun meeting with people all over the world online. For Um, sure, yeah. That's been kind of a cool outcome of this. But, you know, financially, it it doesn't do a lot, you know. And private lessons online are perfectly fine, you know, if you're doing a private clarinet lesson or something. I think that works great, you know, if you have a good – as long as you have your microphone set up well. Mm -hmm. I work with my students to get a good microphone set up with good audio quality. And you use something like clean feed or another kind of feed that has good quality sound, then you can have just it's the same as having a lesson live virtually. But if you if you go over a bad sound link, you can't really hear all the details, and so it's important that the sound quality be good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So uh, let's let's talk
0: about pre-COVID, right? So you were really active in performing solos and uh, concerts, all of But you're also a conductor. And you travel internationally quite a well, lot, as you said, many times to China. So, so I'm really curious how do you balance the jet lags and then just how to stay up on top of everything, you know, with the huge time zone, uh, that stuff?
1: Usually the jet lag doesn't bother me so much. Um, when I go somewhere, I u- usually arrange it, especially if I'm going to the Far East, I usually arrange it. So, I, I arrive sort of mid or late afternoon. And you kind of sleep on the plane. And when you get there, you just, you know, have dinner and go to sleep. So you get a lot of sleep that day when you're traveling. And and then I find it's not much trouble. You know, maybe the first day or something late afternoon, you start to get a little tired. But I find the jet lag doesn't bother me at all. Because, you know, once you get into the classes and performances and rehearsals and whatever you're doing, it's, it's, it's energizing. So I've never had much trouble with the... Uh, with jet lag. Some people do, I know. But um, if you can sleep on the plane, I'll tell you one thing, one secret for sure, yep. is you have to use, uh, see these things? Headphones, these yeah. are these are Bose noise canceling headphones. huh. So when I, whenever I travel on an airplane, I'm wearing these, they cut out all the noise of the engine and so forth. Because if you're oh, listening yeah. to the engine noise the whole way, that's very tiring. People don't realize it. Listening to loud noise for long periods of time is tiring. But you exactly. cut it out, I can I can listen to music on these, don't hear anything. I can't hear the people arguing next to me or the baby behind me crying. Exactly. It's yeah. all gone. You know, and then I'm just like, ah, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I use one of those similar ones too. By the way, this this video is not sponsored by Vols. <laughs> just ah, yeah, just no, kidding, not- just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah, they're great. They're great. Um, yeah, just because I do fly a lot, just for school and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It, it, usually, if I don't sleep well on the plane, it takes up to like seven days for me to adjust, and it just it's a big mess. I'm, I'm glad it's fine for you. I mean, I was I was surprised. I mean, because you look re- you look much healthier now. I mean, you look great before, but you look even better now just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: w- when I was in Shenyang in 2011, I was a lot heavier than I am now. And so, yeah, I'm right. in good shape. I'm I uh at one point, I forget when about five or six years ago, uh-huh. um I lost a lot of weight, got in shape and you know, that kind of stuff.
0: Amazing. So, yeah, a good musician. Also a good, good
1: athlete. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Great. Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, so, so again, you do a ton of stuff. So that's uh, it's a vast experience in multiple areas in the music industry. Like, what do you think, for example, is, is the advantage of that? Or let's say disadvantage to just focus on one thing, because a lot of us going to school, like heading into our careers, we think we will be this soloist, or we or will be this principal clarinet of one orchestra. What do you think is the importance of making things, uh, a variety of different careers out of your your playing?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of um, unrealistic expectations that people are given in music schools. And then there's a lot of information, important information that they're not given. And that's mostly the fault of administrations and faculties of music schools. I'll give you an example. I would say as a performing and teaching musician, the most important thing, if you wanna be a performer, mm-hmm. is you have to learn how to make recordings. Now, I had proposed, um, and the reason you have to learn how to make recordings, and I don't just mean learn how to go and play, I mean, learn how to actually make the recordings yourself. because. In the, if you're going to be a performer, you got to take lots of auditions in your life, and yep. whether it's a competition or or an orchestra or a scholarship audition, whatever the audition is, you're going to have to take lots of auditions. And nowadays, especially, most of those auditions require a recording first.
0: Exactly. Yeah, the pre-screening. Right? Yep. You,
1: you can't even go to the, to the first round until you give them a recording. So if you submit bad recordings, you're not going to get past the first round anywhere. So I think the most important thing beyond learning, to, uh, um, more important than learning to play your instrument is learning to make a recording. And yet no music schools teach that. None. And so I've been telling all the music schools where I teach that I should teach. I've, I've had a recording company for 30, 40 years. Right. And I've offered to teach it at Boston Conservatory, at Lange, all at NEC, all the schools where I ta- have taught. And uh, none of them wanted it because they're run by administrators and musicians who don't understand what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they're do not they not interested in what they don't know. But so about three years ago at Longy, where I now teach, they decided in general that students should do more project-oriented things. And I said, well, the most important project for a music student is making a recording what could be more important project than that a concert is not a project. they they talk about concerts as projects concerts are not projects concerts are concerts you know they don't Concert is a concert is a concert it happens once you advertise it you make a poster you play some stuff people come and that's it recording is a thousand or a million times more important why my for example my recordings I'm the most, uh, probably the most recorded clarinet soloist in the world, okay? And my recordings that I made, even the, the earliest one was back in 1991 or two. So what's that? That's 30 years ago. Those yeah. recordings are still played all over the world. and listened to by people all over the world today, okay? Thou- hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have heard my recordings. Now, how many people, if you add up every concert that I've ever played in my lifetime, it probably doesn't add up to more than, I don't know, 20,000 people, maybe, maybe right? So one recording reaches way more. And, and by the way, that when you make a recording, it's played on the radio. Nowadays, it's played on the internet. It's streaming. It, they have physical CDs. They have everything. It's on a million websites, et cetera, et cetera, right? Back then, it was mostly radio and CD players, and in your car. But nowadays, it's it's everywhere. So, and whether it's making an audition, or making a solo career, or playing for a competition to get money to go to school, or something like that, you know, any of those things, you have to make a good recording. So, this is the most important thing to be taught. I now teach a course in that at Longy for the last three years that I designed. As far as I know, it's the only course like that in the world. And and by the way, I don't, you know, there are schools, there are engineering schools where they teach you engineering, like microphones and all that stuff. Right. That's not what the musician, the musician needs to know the entire process. How do you come up with a cover design? How do you come up with a concept? How do you write the liner notes? How do you plan the recording? Where do you place the mics, you know? How do you edit the recording? How do you balance the recording? How do you EQ? All that stuff. So recording is critical. Um, The other kinds of skills that are critical, again, that they don't teach and they should be teaching at music schools, is how to make and manage websites. Some of the schools now have a little course and they'll call it portfolio or something. They'll say, oh, you know, go to Weebly and make a website. But that's not really anything about websites. So I have for many years been in the computer business too. So I write software. um, I do web design. I do everything that has to do with computers, you know, and um, those skills, if you don't have them, you can't promote yourself. And if you can't promote yourself, you can't have a a professional career in music because nobody's going to promote you. The only, the only job where you don't have to promote yourself in music is if, you're extremely lucky and you get a job in a major orchestra. And as Frank, retired but longtime principal clarinetist of um, Cleveland Orchestra, right. he said to me once, You know, Jonathan, he said, Jonathan, you don't understand. The job in the Cleveland Orchestra was so easy. It was so <laughs> easy. I said, What do you mean, Frank? It sounds pretty hard to me. You got to play all this stuff. He said, Yeah, yeah, but we've most of the stuff we've played a million times, we just show up. They put the music on the stand for us. We just show up. We just have to play this stuff that we know for the most part. You know, he said it's so easy. And that's, you know, that's, <laughs> no, I don't think it's so easy. I think that's an exaggeration, of course. But what he's saying is he doesn't have to market it. He doesn't have to right. promote it. He doesn't have to sell the tickets. He doesn't have to record it. He doesn't have to design it, et cetera. So, but how many people get a, a, a job like that? tiny tiny number and it's a matter of huge luck i mean all the guys who have those jobs are very talented clarinet players but they're also extremely lucky because for every one of them that has that job there's another 100 who are just as good who could have that job too if they were the lucky ones right exactly so they were lucky they were in the right place at the right time and they were prepared um you know they always say you know there is no such thing as luck but you know i like to say it's true, you know, luck is a huge part of something like that, but it's not lucky that you're prepared. So you you never know when the opportunities are going to come, and the ones who succeed ultimately are the ones who are prepared and then the luck comes along. Because if you're not prepared, the lucky situation comes, you're not ready for it, you you don't get it. So so you know, guys like Frank, they had a lot of luck, but he was also prepared. And he nailed that and he got that job and he was there for, you know, I forget how long, but 40 or 50 years. So, yeah, so things like making a website, like marketing, like um, the stuff you were talking about, entrepreneurship, making recordings, um, designing and running festivals, your own festivals, competitions, outreach, you know, all of these kinds of things are stuff that... If you want to have a career in music, you better learn how to do it. Cause nobody's going to do it for you unless you're extremely lucky, you know, you win the lottery.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I agree with a thousand percent on that. I mean, yeah, I mean, orchestras take, I don't know how many, like maybe a dozen or more two dozen jobs in total for the major orchestras for clarinet right. players only. And every job, whenever jobs open, I don't know in a decade or some something,
1: exactly or two or three people, decades
0: you're right and five people were not auditions and they are all great players because you don't have you do have to cover your own cost of travel and everything if you're not prepared most people don't choose to show up and and at the end they only take one so
1: right my uncle i had a um an uncle or actually i guess a great uncle um who was a clarinet player in Chicago. And he had this say, he said, if you're the third best, this was an exaggeration, but he said, if you're the third best clarinetist in Chicago, you're out of a job. I do. I do think
0: that is, that's reasonable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and it's and it's really true. It's even more than that, because it's not third best in Chicago, because if a job opens up in Chicago, people come from all over the world, <laughs> so even true, a small yeah. orchestra, even small orchestras, B rank orchestras or C rank orchestras. If a job opens up, they get hundreds of applicants for the one job. And, you know, if you're a computer programmer, you can go to thousands of jobs in any one city. Exactly. But how many how many jobs are there for an orchestral clarinet that pays a a, a living salary in Chicago? There's there's one, you know.
0: Exactly, yeah, and, and yeah, and and when you try to implement those together, then the potential is really huge because there's no experts in both fields and can combine them together. Um, I, I am very interested in that. Let's keep moving on for that it's because I I know you went to Harvard for undergraduate. you study physics there um that's really interesting because i mean the the one of the biggest reasons i chose northwestern over like a conservatory um is really that i want to leave myself open with other opportunities because i can play um maybe i can get in orchestra if i'm really lucky but i do want to leave my options open because here's one big difference i see between university Mm -hmm. students coming and they choose to be musicians versus conservative students they kind of don't know how to do anything else besides music so right. well that, yeah
1: yeah that's that's why i chose harvard when i was going to college a lot of my friends you know i i had been going to tanglewood in the young artist program right, and right. doing i was in all state i did all of that stuff but even in high school i um was doing lots of things i was on the math team i was on the soccer team i was on chorus music doing all playing the clarinet but when i went to college many of my music friends were going off to juilliard and new england conservatory and here and there and i decided i didn't i didn't even apply to any music schools because i said look i if i go to harvard i can do all the music i want in fact some of most this is an interesting fact that most people um don't know if you look at in the united states we have this thing called the presidential scholar program where every year the president gives awards to a bunch of high school students in all different areas. Yep. Well, almost every year, and if you look at the number of kids who've won this, the top winners of the Presidential Scholar and Music Awards, the students go to Harvard. So the best musicians in the country go to Harvard. now. They also some of them, you know, obviously go to Curtis or Juilliard or whatever, but most the largest number go to Harvard. And so there's an at Harvard, the difference is because there's no performing music major, right? You um you can do whatever you want. So if you're motive if you're self-motivated, like when I went there, I immediately formed a new organization, which still exists today under a new name, but I called it the it was called the Harvard Radcliffe Ensemble Society. And it consisted of all the best musicians at the school, and we just did chamber music together. And we did concerts almost every month at at Sanders Theater, one of the best concert halls in in the world. And where can you do that? And we did, we ran them ourselves, didn't no permission mm-hmm. from anybody. You can't do that at a music school. Forget That's about right. it. They tell you what to do every minute of your life, right? So exactly, yeah. I, we and they have an orchestra. You can do your own chamber music. You, they have plenty of courses in music history, because they do have, um, if you want to take musicology, they have, you can major in that. Um, And you can then study with whatever teacher you want in the Boston area, and they pay for half of it. So I found by going to Harvard, I could do everything I wanted to do in music, totally design it myself, not be constricted by what the school is saying I have to do. And then I could study what I also wanted to study, which was math and physics, right? So I, I really had a major in physics, but I also did all the coursework for a math and major, um, uh, a math major as well. So I had a, um, a double major. I just never went to the math office to register. So my degree was in physics, but it was physics and math. And I was doing music all the time, right. all kinds of things. I played in two, three different orchestras. I was my freshman year at Harvard. I was a fellow at Tanglewood music center. You know I played in the Colorado Philharmonic uh, I was conducting, I was performing, none of which would have been possible if I had gone to New England Conservatory or Juilliard so for someone who like yourself or like me, who has other academic interests, a music school is not a good solution if If the only thing you've ever wanted to do in your life is music, then music school is good because it gives you intensive focus and training on that but it doesn't give you freedom and it doesn't teach you entrepreneurship
0: exactly yep. Yep. yeah yeah and, and well i i just again i can't agree more because that's one of the biggest reasons i quit the due degree because i realized at the end i have to pay something that i can't do on my on my own and then gave that up and to make time for me to take the classes that actually benefit me as a whole um, and then it comes to music I can practice on my own I, I can still take lessons with Mr. D. Ludd and, and my my teachers in Chicago exactly. and everything I can do all of that on my own and that that helped me to take off this music business I found it's called HPMS Venture that you know we help students prepare for auditions and scholarships and get scholarships in, in music schools basically and that took off this year
1: oh so you're you're, you're helping kids prepare for college auditions and stuff yeah, yeah i work with i work with a guy here in boston who mm-hmm. has a business like that and he'll amazing he does it for for all kinds of you know high school kids and whenever he has a high school kid who, who's interested in clarinet he comes to me and i you know give them a lesson and give them some coaching and Give them some advice on on college and stuff but he yeah he he has a whole sort of college application preparation service is that for what music student kind of, i think he does it for all kinds of students oh, okay. but music is one area and whenever he has someone who's a clarinetist he comes to me you know so amazing um but it's yeah that's an interesting business nowadays it's taken off because college is very competitive so people want to know you know where should they apply how should they do it
0: we we just have a student coming off the wait list at eastman then she at the end got a almost a few full tuition scholarship play cello which was you know, which is incredible because basically waitlist means rejection, but we right. did teach her how to follow up and all of that, but yeah, it's doing well. And, um but again, with the due degree, I couldn't do this. I literally don't have time. I got to take eight classes, a, a quarter. Exactly. That just, Lots and of most classes of the and, stuff. and
1: re- requirements. And they oh, yeah, want you yeah. to play in this group and play in that group. And, yeah. and that, 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 and a lot of which you don't need. It's like, when I went, when I went to Harvard they, I wanted to take certain classes that they had in the music department. Mm-hmm. But the first one I wanted to take was a uh, conducting an orchestration class. My first year, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh no, you got to have four years of harmony and f- three years of theory and this and that." And so I said, "No, no, no, I don't, I don't need that." And, and they said, "Well, you can take a placement test." So now I had never taken any of these courses before. In high school, they didn't have them really. But so I, I took the placement test. I the night, the week before, I read the Walter Piston harmony book. And I read another book and I did some stuff. I took all these tests, placement tests. I passed out of their entire music major of theory and and harmony and analysis. And my first semester at Harvard, I was in the senior conducting an orchestration class. All the other kids in the class were seniors and I was first year, yeah. Amazing. Um, And, but you can do that at Harvard. You couldn't, there's no way you could do that at a music school. And so I didn't want to have to take all those classes because, first of all, they're easy for me. And even if they're not easy, you don't need every single course. For example, at music schools, they insist that everybody take these courses in huge history classes that go way back to early music. You know, I learned some early music when I was in junior high school, and it's an interesting area. And I have many friends who are great early music performers. I personally don't need to know a lot about that because I don't do that. It's not something I do. It's not something I interest. You need to know a little bit about it just from a perspective standpoint. But they give you, they teach this, oh, you have to know about this composer and that composer and the other composer. My view of of history and when I teach my classes is whatever you're going to learn about, learn about it carefully and in depth and in detail. So, you know, telling me that Palestrina wrote the Pope Marcellus Mass, which I learned, you know, when I was in the seventh grade. Okay, so what I know that I've not I know nothing about Palestrina. And if I was interested in Palestrina, I would read seven books on him. And I would go into it. But the in, in the music schools, they want every student to have these wide survey courses, rather than deep classes. And I think Whatever you're doing, whether it's music or math or science or physics or anything, deep is what's important, not wide, you know? Yeah, Yep.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I, I can relate to that so much. I really do think, first of all, a lot of people are going for a degree in terms of getting the sheet of paper, especially for us. I mean, coming from, you know, international families, Asian parenting, um, that that's a big thing is to get the paper and get the name which I just, right. I personally don't agree because at the end, if you, you are this entrepreneur and you, are, you care so much about business, you rather want to have founded 10 successful businesses than getting a sheet of paper that certifies right, you in business. At the end, it's a practical skill. You got to practice, not sitting in the classroom. And I think that's the, the same exact thing for musicians. It's nowadays colleges are a lot about theories which this is something really practical down to earth, you got to practice. So that's why I feel like I've learned, I don't know, maybe over 95% of things that make who I am today outside of my classrooms. I didn't really feel like I learned so much in classrooms to be honest. Oh,
1: Oh, absolutely. I would say I've learned, yeah, 99% of what I know outside of classrooms. Indeed, you know, I taught my son this, he's a very successful musician and entrepreneur and a software engineer. Amazing. And when he was young, he was very, you know, we taught him from a young age to be very fast and learn on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, he went to public school, but, he, but before he went to public school, he knew everything because we taught him at home. And when he was in high school, I said, look, if you want to get good offers from colleges and things, you should um, take lots of the uh, AP tests, yeah. You know, the advanced placement test, because yeah. the more you have, you could skip a year in college if you want and go do more things. So he decided he would start just learning various things. I think that three quarters of the AP tests that he took were in subjects that he never had a class in. I said, all you got to do to learn the subject matter is go get the Barron's book, read it from cover to cover. It tells you everything about the subject, everything you need to know. It gives you sample tests and you study it, you practice it and you can do it. So he he just started doing that on his own. And he had I forget how many I I had like five when I went to Harvard, I think he had 11 or 12 AP tests that he got all fives on, he was a national AP scholar. And I'd say out of that 11 or 12, seven of them were subjects that he had never taken in high school. You know, so when you go to college, it's even more true, you should basically all and I tell this to my students, I say, Look, all learning, takes place on your own. Nobody can teach you anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is a big myth. Oh, they're going to teach me this. I can tell you methods of learning. and, And if you follow my instructions, you will learn but the learning happens in your brain, not in mine, right? Right. So if you're a student, and you want to learn, you have to actively learn. And the only way you learn is by thinking about it. In fact, one of the best ways of learning something is by teaching it. Right. I discovered this early on when I was in high school I used to teach classes in math and other things to other people and in order to teach them I had to make sure I knew exactly what I was talking about Mm -hmm. so I learned the stuff so that I could teach it you know amazing Um, yeah and people people don't think that way now too many people nowadays think they can just plunk themselves down in a class and somehow they're magically gonna learn by sitting there Um, right but no real learning takes place on your own right
0: and and again i i I see this happening i think with people around me at my school and also with my underclassmen and everybody especially parents they still believe that i mean i think they are buying the tuition for security which nowadays it just doesn't work like that anymore there are a lot of elite institutions and i think the degree especially with elite schools so many people graduate from there now i mean it's, it's it's really overrated with the degree of paper so a lot of people would do is they think they take this class this class this class and then graduate their set and i think for musicians as well i mean people go to julia or curtis at first they would think that when they graduate they will be over prepared and face anything but i, I don't think nowadays it works like that anymore Do do you agree with that
1: Right. The thing about the the paper, you know, getting the master's degree or whatever, it all depends what you want to do. And if you're an entrepreneur, like exactly what you said, if, if you want to have successful business, the paper means absolutely nothing. Some of the most successful business people in the history of the world didn't even have degrees. Okay. If you want to be successful in business, you got to be a hard worker. You got to learn yourself and you got to plow through failures and learn how to fix things you know yeah um yeah. so but and and if you want to be um a successful performer you have to win auditions period end of story i mean right you, you know can, people say oh you, you shouldn't be competitive yeah. in music well yeah it's true music sh- shouldn't from a theoretical perspective be competitive but if you want to win a job it is competitive you have to win auditions if you be a performer Um, at least at first. Eventually, if you can build your own solo career, like I've done, that's another thing. But even there, you're still competing. Every time someone's hiring someone as a soloist, you're competing, right? And so if you're going to be a performer, the, the degree almost doesn't matter. However, most people aren't ready to be a performer until they've studied a certain amount. So I always say to my students, yeah, you should be in school as long as you can until you get a great job. If you if you're a sophomore and, and studying with me, and you get a job in uh, the Chicago Symphony, I'll say go drop out right now and go. You know? oh, yeah. But if you if you get a job in the a local community orchestra, um, stay in school obviously because that's course. not a real you know that's not a long term job. That's a good thing while you're in school. So you know I, I have great I have friends who've done all that. My my friend uh, Bill Vermeulen, mm-hmm. he went to Northwestern where you are. He's the longtime uh principal horn of the uh was it Cleveland or the Houston, Houston Symphony. Yep. Right. And uh great one of the greatest horn players in the world. He dropped out of Northwestern when he was, I think, nineteen because he got a major job and his teacher said go. All right. Right. Of course. So at that point, what the degree's meaningless. He got the job that he wanted and from there he's made a lifetime career as one of the great horn players in the world. And you learn what you need to know along the way so it it depends if but however now let's say you want to get a job as a teacher at a university that's different. then yep. you have to get it's different because you have to get a doctorate because none of them will even look at you if you don't have a doctorate exactly now yep. in my case because i'm famous as a soloist and teacher in some cases they will look at me but even then they won't i remember one time i was going to a festival i was already very well known and I'd been invited to a festival in Brazil and uh, it was a major international festival and they were very excited to invite me and the the festival was being funded by partially by the government there. So the guy who's organizing it emailed me and said, so can you give me information about your, um, your degrees, your music degrees, where'd you get your master's degree? And I said, well, I don't have a master's degree. He said well where'd you get your music degrees i said well i don't have any degrees in music because he needed to fill in this paperwork for the government oh, i said i have okay. a degree, right i i said i just have a degree in physics from harvard you know an undergraduate degree and because i i decided for example i did my my undergraduate at harvard in three years because i got sophomore standing i could have stayed a fourth year and in one year added a master's degree to it because at that point i had enough credits So in four years, I could have had my undergrad and master's, but I decided not to because I said in physics, a master's degree is useless. If you want to be a physics person, you have to have a Ph.D., right? Right. And so unless I was going to go and I at that point, I decided I didn't want to be in physics full time, you know, so I said, well, the master's degree is useless. So I just left Harvard. I have my bachelor's degree, but so it depends on what you want to do. Now, if I had wanted to get a Ph.D., then I would have stayed that fourth year if I wanted to go on in physics. But the the point of this was that guy in Brazil wanted to know this stuff. In the end, he said, OK, I'll just tell him, you know, you're world famous and so forth. I said, you know, where did you get your doctorate from? They often ask me. I say, well, I don't Mm -hmm. I don't have a doctorate in music, but I have lots of students who've gotten doctorates. (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it's like, like what Elon Musk says, right? Like he didn't go to Harvard, but the people who work for him did. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's something like that. All of those are great. I, I relate so much again to, to all of that.
1: As a teacher, sometimes you need that credential if you want to get a certain job. So you have to decide what's your plan, what's, where, what path do you want to go down and then go go with that in mind, you know?
0: Yeah. Um. Also, the last thing we're going to talk about about school before I move on is, I see so many students are very insecure nowadays. So they would rather do something that's easy and they're super good at it, instead of they really need that skill and protect their GPA. In instead of doing something that's that's really gonna teach them something but super hard, you might crash your GPA. So for me, I I've always been this this person who's was better than in literature, arts, and all that stuff. I was never good at science and math but I'm taking econ business and math right now. It's hard, it's so hard for me, but I'm taking that because I know one day I try to strive as an entrepreneur that's basic stuff needed for finance and everything. I got to know that skill and I'm taking some coding. I was never, I never learned computer programming before. And now I know how to build basic websites and then how to write, you know, JavaScript and then, uh, you know, some Python, all that stuff. It's really basic, but I think that's all I need. versus, you know, going hard deep core in engineering, but a, a lot of people would just go with the easiest classes in college and then get a 4.0, which I, again I think at the end, it's truly meaningless.
1: It is and you know, this is something I teach in general, which is whatever subject you're learning, whether it's math or clarinet playing or how to play soccer, doesn't matter, the process is the same, because it all has to do with training your brain. And when you're training your brain, if you're not, most people like to constantly do things that they already can do because it's comfortable and it feels good and it, and it gets, you no learning, which is, so if you walk around a music school like Juilliard, not you'll hear 99% of the students practicing incorrectly. I call it, in fact, I call it anti-practice. What they do is they're repeating phrases over and over again. And if you repeat something uh, that you can already do, it's a complete waste of your time because the circuit is already built in your brain. And so what you'll hear people do in music is they'll they'll play a phrase, they make a mistake, let's say in bar 20, right? And then they go back to bar one and they play it again. And then they make the mistake again. And then, But instead of when they make the mistake in bar 20, they should focus solely on that note or that bar but they don't. Why? Because it's frustrating. That's the part that they can't do. So they don't want to focus on it. So I always say, it's called deep practice, you have to focus exclusively only, only on the things that you can't do, which is very frustrating. Mm -hmm. So if you're not frustrated 90% of the time when you're practicing, then you're not practicing. If you're feeling good about your practice, you're not practicing. And that's what most people do. They're just playing the stuff they can already play you have to be playing the stuff that you can't play all the time and then you are then you're thousands of times more efficient and that's why people who have studied this it's called the study of acquisition of expertise because it doesn't matter what field it's true of every field of learning because it's a brain thing Mm -hmm. if you focus on the the stuff that you can't do exclusively and then consciously think okay how do i have to fix this that's those are the people that excel you know not twice as fast but 10 or 100 or a thousand times as fast as other people not because they're smarter not because they're more talented but because they're focusing and working harder on the things that they can't do and unfortunately many musicians are not willing to do that because they've been told all their lives happy talk Many, many musicians are told happy talk. Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, oh that's yeah. so good. Yeah. So I always say, you know, positive reinforcement is the least important part of becoming a good performer. It's a, you need a little bit of positive enforcement to, to get people in a receptive state of mind. Mm -hmm. You know, if all you ever do, if all they ever do to them is say, oh, you're terrible, you're horrible, that's terrible, terrible. And If that's all they hear, eventually they're going to get discouraged and go away. But if you want to be a performer, first of all, you got to be tough, number one. And so you give them a little bit. It's like sugar, right? If you, a little bit of sugar is good, right? Too much sugar, you get fat and sick, right? So you give them a little bit of positive enforcement and a lot of critical, what people might call negative. It's not negative. Negative would be saying, you know, just telling someone that's bad and not telling them how to fix it. But if you say, no, that's bad, and here's how you fix it, mm-hmm. that is what you need to do. But you, you do need to tell them it's bad because they don't know that it's bad at first. Right. If someone plays with an ugly sound, they don't know that that was an ugly sound until you say, that's an ugly sound. You know, so you give them a little bit of positive, Lots of negative and constructive. Um, Unfortunately, most teachers don't do that. Most teachers give 98% sugar and 2% of what they need. And most students practice 98% of what they already can do and not the stuff that they need to learn. Right. Yeah.
0: When I transferred to Idol Arts Academy in high school, um, I was recruited with, you know, almost a full ride to to take the opportunity to start with UD Gilad. And then when I st- started studying with him for the entire life of my, you know, I've been this, you know, this best performer of my previous teachers. They were really giving me compliments, you know, compliments over criticism. A lot of times. And then when they, so that made me feel really good, but when I started studying with Mr. Gilad, everything changes. I, I suddenly became, I I thought this worst player he's ever seen in his life, but to uh-huh. be honest, he was just being hard on me because he was a hundred percent honest and you know, he would, he would tell you, you know, sound like crap, you know, when you truly sound like that. And he would tell you when you sound good, which happened probably like maximum 10 times in total in two, right. year, in two years. But but the thing is, it's very subtle. It's when the teacher tells that and 99% of the time, they're super hard when they tell you that that's good. That feels really, really good.
1: Right. It feels Absolutely. amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely. And And, you know, and you see, if they're just giving you the happy talk, you're not improving, okay? And so I remember, I, I coached at one point a, an artist diploma, a very high level, woodwind right. quintet that then and now has become a famous woodwind quintet, Vento Chiaro, and they were created under me at, as artist diploma students at Longy. And when I first started coaching to them, coaching them, I was very nice because uh, they were very advanced and they were already quite good, you know? so, But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how good you are, I can still tell you a thousand things that will improve you. Right? So you have to pick and choose. But so at the, at the coachings, I was saying some nice things to them and then they, they eventually said to me, you know, cause they were already in their mid late twenties, you know, oh, yeah. they said, Oh, you, you gotta, you gotta give us more variety of, of adjectives. You know, you have to come up mm-hmm. with more adjectives and than wonderful, fantastic, you know? So I said, okay, we're going to develop a scale mm-hmm. here. And we're going to start with, at the bottom of the scale, the first compliment level will be, that wasn't totally disgusting. So that was a compliment. Okay. So that wasn't totally, that was the first step. That's it's like funny. Mahler. If you look at how Mahler marked his music, he had oh, a yeah. whole variety of very subtle phrases in German that he used. Because, you know, Accelerando, he had like five different ways of saying Accelerando, which meant slightly different things, you know? Yep, um, yep. So I came up with this whole list that started with that wasn't totally disgusting or that and then a a level above with that was that sounds like something vaguely and distantly related to music. So that was the next level up. So many steps before you got to that was great. And so the point is, and then I would get into specifics when I'm teaching someone and I don't care if they're a high level professional player or a young student, as I listen to them. I can hear a thousand things that are wrong with their playing. Okay. Because I'm doing critical analysis and I do the same when I practice myself. The quest, the point is when you're teaching, you can't tell them all thousand things at once, not enough time. Right. right? So you have to, you have to, you have to prioritize and you have to say, okay, in this one hour lesson, he just played a small segment of a piece and there's a thousand things wrong with it. I'm going to pick, the top three things, the most important three that are specific to this piece and that he's got a problem with. And we're going to focus in on those. And I'm going to show the person how to instantly, instantly fix it and make it better. This is another one of the myths of music There, that the people who say, oh, you have to go back and practice these etudes for six months before you're going to be able to do that. That's nonsense. Hmm. Any problem, any problem in music performance or anything can be solved immediately. Now, and I can show that to any student. Now, you may not be able to do it consistently immediately, and that's where the practice comes in, but I can show you if you slow something down enough and take it apart enough, I can show you exactly how to do it immediately. And so I show that to the student. I say, do this, 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 and this, boom, there, you did it just now. That's the first time you've ever done that. Now you need to take that, practice that, and build that up. And this is something that people aren't normally willing to do because it's frustrating. The only difference between the greatest players in the world, willingness to focus and deal with frustration. The best players focused a lot. It's not talent. Talent is a a fake. There really isn't talent for the most part um there certainly are areas where people have a physical disability you know and then they're going to have a problem but 99% of every subject of learning has to do with focus study and willingness to deal with frustration so yeah i mean it's it's um it's about that willingness to focus and and deal with the frustration of learning new things that you can't already do. People much prefer to just repeat the things that they already know. It's fun, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. So you think that's what separates the good players from I mean, that's what separates the, 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 the excellent players from the good players.
1: That's the only thing. And the same is true of of um of uh soccer players or mathematicians it's the exact same thing you know there was a study done once of little kids i think i was going to tell you mm-hmm. where they put some little kids in a room and they put some candy in front of them right oh yeah like chocolate yeah. or something i know this yeah i know
0: that's experience
1: right yeah. and then they said okay we're we got to go away for a minute don't eat that chocolate right and, but when i come back i'm going to give you twice as much chocolate you know i'll, right. I'll give you another chocolate bar but, but you can't eat the one that's in front of you or you won't get it. So most of the little kids just eat the one that's in front of them, even though they know that if they waited, they could get twice as much, right? Most of them eat it. So then what they did is they looked at the, the success, intelligence, future grades, you know, life outcomes of those kids over the years. The ones who waited and didn't eat the chocolate and waited for the next one uniformly had vastly better outcomes in life right why because they were willing to deal with the frustration of learning that if you wait for this you're going to get something better the other ones wanted immediate gratification so they ate the chocolate this is true of all people and so the people the people who succeed are the ones who are willing to deal with the frustration and keep at it exactly Yeah. yeah For me, I think the
0: process means way more than the result. Um, uh-huh. And for me, I I think that really puts a, a whole different mindset. Once you do something, you start to do something else, and then you, you go down the road, and it's, it's way more likely to do a bunch of crazy things that can't tell you enough, you know? So, uh, but, you know, a lot of friends are, <laughs> look at me like, Steven, you're this nerd. I mean, I, I don't think most people really understand that Time is it's one of the most valuable things that we have. And, right. and that that a lot of results we won't see after five years, 10 years. And then when you see it, it's going to be something quite impressive. Amazing, amazing, Mr. Goldberg. I, I appreciate your time. I know we talked for a long time. I wish we could talk more, but uh, just to save your time. And then, you know, I, yeah, I, I truly appreciate our conversation. It's really insightful and uh, certainly. We resonate a lot, so thank you so much for bringing us value.